Today we are going to be in 1 Kings. Like I said, we're just, we're talking about Jesus, son of David, and how many times Jesus is called the son of David and what that means. So we looked into who was David and what was it like to be David. He was a shepherd boy. He was the least born of a very tiny tribe. And he got chosen to be king, right? And he became king. He did a great job as king. There was one one sin that he made. And that sin would usher in all kinds of catastrophes and failures and, and repercussions and bad stuff. And some of those are even going to come up today. There was one other mistake he made that it, it's... Um, it is a sin, and that was when he wanted the census, and that's what we talked about last week. And the outcome of that sin was that he received mercy from God. There was some punishment and judgment, and then mercy. And the site of the temple, where the Ark of the Covenant, where the temple of Solomon would be built. Oh, I just spoiled it. The temple would be built by one of his sons that might become king today. Uh would be built. So both times there's there's this ongoing message of this was God's chosen person. He messed some things up, but otherwise he did really great. And even the things that he messed up, God turned into the best things ever. Which points to Jesus of, oh gosh, what if what if God appointed a king that never messed up? Well, even then the sin in the world would still affect him and hurt him and even kill him. But even then, God would make that into the best thing ever. So it's like just being God's chosen doesn't mean it's all roses and all good. And we get that we get that example from Jesus. So what I want to do today is establish David still alive in first Kings. It starts out, King David was old and advanced in years. Bad news is, is that they think he was probably 70. So, there you go. He's not dead yet. We've had an attempt. We've had two attempts so far for other children of his to become king by force. We had Hoshai and we had Absalom. And Absalom was terrible and the whole thing and he fled and we talked about that. And remember at the end, David was so sad about it. And Joab was like, dude, if you don't get out there and thank everybody for rescuing you, they're going to turn on you and it'll be worse than when Absalom rebelled. And, you know, David was like, all right, Joab, I'm grieving my son here, but okay, go back to your army and then. He retook it. When Hushai rebelled, there wasn't any of that. It was boom. You know, we're going we're gonna to shut down. Hushai wasn't one of David's kids, but he was still trying. So now, the question of who's going to be king next, we have had some hints from reading along in 2 Samuel. Because remember, after uh, Uriah the Hittite was killed and by David, murdered, sort of. And then uh, 
David and Bathsheba had a child that died. It says David comforted Bathsheba, brought her in to be his wife, and she had another child, and he named him Solomon. And Solomon means peace. And then Nathan the prophet, who was the prophet that brought the judgment against David. You killed Uriah the Hittite. You did wrong. God is mad. That same prophet heard from God. This child is named Jedidiah. Because Jedidiah means my beloved one. I, I just love him so much. That's what that means. And so now David would have a child. And God says, I love him so much. And at the same time, he says, now, David, this is God speaking through Nathan to David. David, I've forgiven your sin. I've taken it away. And now you're going to have a king. You're going to have a descendant of yours sitting on the throne forever. All the time. And if he does wrong, I'm going to discipline him. Oh, I'm going to light him up. But I will never cease to keep a descendant of yours on the throne. You will, I, will not, I won't take my, away from him like I took away Saul. We're not going to end this line. And so he gets, this, he gets that promise. Same time he gets this blessing on Solomon, who should really be named Jedediah. And so that kind of puts the context that Solomon is the one to be king next. And so let's all just assume that. All right. Hold. Something else happens. So David's old and they don't want him to die. They want him to keep on being king. He's just so awesome. And as many blankets as they put on him, he can't stay warm. And this is, um, there's other cultures that did this same thing. And they're like, let's get a young woman to be sought for the king and let her wait on the king and be in his service and basically be his hot water bottle. And so they search the whole land and they find this beautiful young woman named, you got it? I said it earlier, Abishai, right? Abishag, sorry, not Abishai. Abishai is somebody else. Abishag, the Shunammite, and they brought her to the king. And she was there and she was, she lay in the bed with him to keep him warm. A couple of things you have to know. In this culture, in this day, they were kind of like um, the Dick Van Dyke show. They had separate beds. It was not a common thing to share a bed with somebody, even your spouse, even if you had 15 wives, whatever. No, you had your own bed because it was hot and there was no AC. There was no climate control. And so this is a little out of the ordinary, um, and but they would do this for kings. And... The hope is that some of her youthful beauty and vigor, there, there's this one ancient text that talks about hopefully the young woman's breath that the, the old, this is a different king, an aging king would inhale some of her breath and get younger. Like, there you go. So, so that's what they're trying to do. There's a lot of historians that think that she was probably about the age that Bathsheba was back when Bathsheba met David. That's also going to be important here in a minute. So they do that. This is also stressing, this is how 
this is how close to the end of his life David is. Because they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't, because you wouldn't just bring some lady in to be with the king because, oh my gosh, what if she has a baby? And now you've got all of these questions of who's the heir. Now who's going to be king next after King David? And so this is like a last, this also represents, this is how old David is. They're trying to stress, here's how old David is. He's this close to the end. These are sort of like the last things that you do to keep him alive for a little bit longer. Does that make sense? So if he's about ready to die, a new king is just knocking at the door. Just almost here. That's what you're supposed to have in your mind when you hear, this is how old David is. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. And he said, I will be king. This is the fourth. So of all the wives that David had and all the kids that he had with all these wives. I got to keep looking at his name. Adonijah. Adonijah is the oldest that is still alive. So there's Absalom. And he, oh, he was the younger brother of the one that was the oldest, Amnon, who killed Amnon, Absalom, right? Remember Amnon Tamar and that whole mix-up thing? So now it starts to, as it starts to play out, maybe Absalom didn't just kill Amnon because of Tamar, but since he was second in line to the throne and he caused this whole revolution to be king, he might have killed his older half-brother just so he could be next in line. But then he got killed by the tree with the sap and the thorns and all that business. And now it goes next. And Adonijah is next in line to be king if you go by age. The thing is, this has never happened before in the history of the kingdom of Israel. They only, this is only their second king. King David's only their second king. And the first king they got by divine choice and then he didn't kill all the Amalekites. God rejected him and they picked another one. So there's nothing established that says the next firstborn of the king should be the next king. That We, we might think that because we know about England. We know about history and all that business. They didn't have that. So Adonijah, he says, I will be king. He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Does that sound familiar? Who did that before? The late Absalom. Got a chariot, got 50 army men to run around with him, rode around town. Verse 6 is tricky. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done this and so? King David thing is, we don't have a timeline here. We don't know when this happened in the, in the course of David getting older. But at some point, probably after Absalom's rebellion, probably after Hushai, but at some point, Adonijah said, I'm going to become king. Give me my 50 men to run around my chariot as I cruise around town and I look really important. And it says here, David never corrected him. If you look back through the whole life of David, it's pretty wild to see that there's a lot of times that David just let people do things and he didn't intervene and he didn't act. And sometimes he didn't intervene, and he didn't act. And he said, 
Let's wait and see what God does. There's other times they didn't intervene and he didn't act and bad stuff happened because he stayed quiet. David is still this weird kind of passive, even in his old age. His father never at any time displeased Adonijah. He never made Adonijah bad by asking him, why are you doing this? Hmm. He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab. Uh-oh, wait, what? He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. I'm going to go over all those names in a minute. It'll be clear. There's a whole bunch of people he conspired with. There's a whole bunch of people he left out. And what did he do? Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside Enrogel. He invited all of his brothers, all the king's sons, all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Okay, this is where we need action figures. We need like statues and stuff. So who did he invite? He, invite, he invited Joab. We know who Joab is. Joab is the leader of the army. Okay, he invited Joab who was mad at David and said, dude, if you don't get out there and celebrate, we're going to rebel. So Adonijah says, hey, Joab, come with me. Well, anywhere Joab goes, he takes a bunch of army men with him. He's just, that's how he is. He also took Abiathar, the priest. Now, this is crazy. If you look up where Abiathar came from, who he was, do you remember when David was fleeing and he went to the, the, where the Ark of the Covenant was and he said, hey, do you have any bread? And they gave him some bread and then Saul was chasing after him and he killed all those priests because they gave David bread. But there was one priest that grabbed the holy ephod, which was the way that God would speak to the people. Abiathar grabbed that ephod, snuck and followed David into the wilderness and fled with him because he knew Saul was bad and he knew David was good. So Abiathar has been carrying the holy ephod with all the stones on it. You could inquire of the Lord and the ephod would give you an answer. That's Abiathar. And Adonijah says, Abiathar, come with me. I need a priest. So Abiathar goes with him. So he's got Joab, the army leader. He's got Abiathar, the church leader. Oh, man. Let's see here. Let me figure out where I took. Uh, and they follow him. Zadok the priest was the priest that was stationed with David to do all the priestly things for the king, while Abiathar took care of the Ark of the Covenant because they weren't in the same place. Zadok does not get invited. So he's so close to the king, he's not a part of this. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, do you remember him? He was one of the mighty men. He is, whenever you hear Benaiah, whenever you hear Benaiah in the Bible, I want you to picture Mr. T. Like the dude with gold chains and I pity the fool. 
that guy? Because Benaiah is the bodyguard of King David. And Mr. T was the bodyguard of Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and it's just like, Muhammad Ali does not need a bodyguard, right? I mean, if anybody messes with Muhammad Ali, he punches them. But he, he had Mr. T to be his bodyguard. King David is so tough and so bad. He killed Goliath, right? He's killed all these men. His bodyguard is Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. They don't invite him. And Nathan, the prophet, the one who is getting messages from God about the, the fate of Israel and the king, right? Remember, it was Samuel who anointed King Saul. It was Samuel who anointed King David. You need a prophet to anoint a king. And they leave Nathan behind. So Adonijah goes to this place. Oh, and then, of course, they didn't invite Solomon. Which kind of points out, because they knew Solomon was really supposed to be the king. They invited all the brothers, all the, all the sons of David that there were, except for that one. Because if that one is there, they know he's the one that's supposed to be the king. And so they start shouting, and they start having a party, and they're all celebrating. And Nathan hears about it. Nathan goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And I'm going to tell the story. I'm not going to read it line by line. Nathan basically goes to Bathsheba. Bathsheba is David's favorite wife. Isn't that wild? They have become the closest king and queen. Um, other, other wives are not referred to as queens, but she is pretty wild. And which also points to Solomon is going to become the next king. Nathan comes to Bathsheba and he's like, hey, What's going on? Adonijah just made himself king. And I thought Solomon was going to become king. Did you, have you heard something that I didn't hear? And she's like, no. And then they had that real life conversation of if Adonijah becomes king, you're dead. Because they're going to kill any other possible heir to the throne. And so they're going to kill Solomon and they're going to kill you. We got to stop this right now. We have to make, we have to force David's hand to declare who he wants the next king to be. Because again, David's kind of been this passive guy of, I'm not going to declare it. I'm not going to give it up. Um, <laughs> this happens a lot in churches where the pastor says, you know what? I'm going to preach, keep preaching here, keep preaching here. And, and then at some point, everybody's like, dude, should have passed it on to another preacher years ago, right? This is where David is. Should have passed it on to Solomon years ago. So they, Nathan and Bathsheba set up this kind of little role play where they're going to surprise and say and, and get David to, to come out and say it. So Bathsheba, this is verse 15, Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Why does it say that in there? What does this have to do with anything? It's because there's, there's tension in that. Because here's Bathsheba, who is the queen, and who is the closest to King David in his old age, and is aging with him. And right there is Abishag the Shunammite, who looks just like her, is young, is her age when she was here. 
and it's not working. And it, it's, it's not going to save David. These, these things that David had tried all of his life when he would sin, just aren't, they're not, they're not working. And he has to give up the kingship. He has to pass it on. And so he hears about Adonijah. And he, right at that moment, Nathan comes in. And Nathan's like, what's going on? And David is like, hey, look, okay, make, make Solomon king. He tells the whole story. I'm going to skip way down to verse 27. Has this thing been brought about by my lord, the king? And you have not told your servants? This is Nathan. Did you order all this stuff with Adonijah and you didn't tell us? And that forces King David to answer. Call Bathsheba. Bring her in. He says, the Lord has rescued me from everything. And I swore to the Lord your God that Solomon would be king. And so now get me Zadok the priest. Get me Nathan the prophet. Get me Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. Go to this place. Blow the trumpet and make Solomon king. So by that command of David, the Lord's anointed, the anointing of God of who the king should be is finally getting passed. It wasn't expressed explicitly during Absalom. Remember Absalom? King David was like, who knows? Maybe God wants him to be king. It's like, no, God doesn't want him to be king. He's told you that Solomon's going to be king. This has put it into action. This is making it happen. And so they go and they make Solomon king. Solomon rides in on King David's mule. Nobody else has ever done this. All these other guys that wanted to be kings, what did they do? They got a chariot. They got 50 army men to run around them. And they all rode around. I'm so tough. I'm going to be king. What does Solomon do? It's the most humble thing, right? The king has ordered that I am able to ride. Like, it's a big deal when you get to borrow your dad's car, right? When you show up and you're driving somebody else's thing and it's like, whoa, he gave you that. He is letting you drive your dad's car that, you know, your dad let you drive his car. I remember I had a, we had Grippo's t-shirts there's this Bible study group I was in. I think I've told this story before. All these guys, and I got them Grippo's t-shirts. Grippo's potato. I had to call Cincinnati. I had to mail them a check. This is before the internet, before any of this stuff. I called the home office. I said, can I buy some Grippo's t-shirts? She was like, we don't have t-shirts. Wait, we might have some left over from the softball team. It's the Grippo's factory softball team. So I get these Grippo's t-shirts. I pass them out to the guys in my men's group and I saved one extra. Hmm. And, you know, we're all so proud and we're all showing ownership and we've got our Grippos t-shirts. And one day, my dear girlfriend showed up at some Bible study group thing wearing a Grippos t-shirt. We were married, good, I'm glad. My girlfriend that I married showed up with a Grippo's t-shirt. And I remember one of those guys said, oh my gosh, like I know you're married, but she's really in because she's got a Grippo's t-shirt. Owners, I mean, 
not ownership, but belonging, right? When Solomon rides, mules were not common, you guys. People had donkeys, people had horses, people had oxen. This is like a, a this is like a Maserati. This is like a very, very out of the ordinary. You couldn't get a mule in Israel. It, it was just, they didn't have them. You had to go to another country to get a mule. And so Solomon is riding on the, the power. More than one way, he's riding on what King David has given him in the name of God, right? Wow. So he rides up on the mule and they all announce and they blow the trumpet. And this is, this is wild. Um, it all happens. Let's see, skipping ahead. There we go. Zadok the priest, this is verse 39. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent, anointed Solomon. None of any of these other anointings are they anointed by the right priest with oil the right way that a king is supposed to be anointed until now. All these other guys, they sacrificed a whole bunch of stuff, but the anointing by God is what counts. Do you see how much teachings of Jesus are popping up all over the place here? Where Jesus says, uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God instead of burnt offerings. If they're going against their dad, the king's wishes, they're not acknowledging God. It doesn't matter how many bulls they have to sacrifice. If they're going against the anointed one of God's wishes, it doesn't matter. They blew the trumpet. All the people said, long live King Solomon. All the people went up to him, playing on pipes, rejoicing with great joy. And all the earth was split by their noise. How do you like that for loud? There's another translation that says the whole ground shook because everybody was partying. What's really awesome, if you get, if you get your Bible, your study Bible going and your maps and all that, the place where Adonijah got made into king with all of the sacrifices and all that is way down in this valley over here. The place where David sent Solomon to be made king is way up in Jerusalem on this ridge top up high where there's the main spring of fresh water for uh, two different tribes in Israel that water would flow down. And so when they anoint King Solomon to be king up there and start partying, guess who can hear it? But when all this party down here is happening, it doesn't matter how loud it is, guess who can't hear it up here on the top of the mountain? <laughs> so it's just, it's just brilliant of God. It's brilliant of King David to say, hey, okay, we're going to make Solomon king. Go to this spot, do it here. Here's how you do it. Take my mule and do it. So they have the party up on the ridge that all of the sound is going to carry down into the whole valley and all kinds of people. The other good thing is where Adonijah went to get made king, everybody had to go out there to the spot. It's kind of like we're going to go to daylight and we're going to christen you king. Let's all head out there and go do it. The place that David picked was like, we're going to go to the riverfront on the 4th of July at about 530. That's where everybody is because it's the source of water. So there's just there's already a built-in crowd there getting water for the day. It's just, it's, there's just so much genius and brilliance in, in the way God is doing all this stuff. 
So everyone is cheering this whole party. They have a king. He's chosen by King David. I mean, it's not a rebel. The people are so tired of war. They're so tired of fighting. They're so tired of rebellion. And this is obvious that God has chosen King David. And now God's chosen one, King David, has chosen King Solomon. And now they're parading and they're going and sitting on his throne. And there's King David celebrating. And he has his blessing. And just the party just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And can you imagine that moment when King Solomon is sitting on the throne of his father? Because now this is this is, did not happen over bloodshed. This is not happen over. A, there's not going to be a civil war. And gosh, this is Solomon, the son of Bathsheba. Like, how much does God forgive sin? How much does God take away the evil, wicked things that you do? So much that He is going to make some holy and righteous thing out of the terrible thing that you did. Wow. I just, I got to read this whole thing. I don't even know where to start because it's just such, it's such a party. You want to blow trumpets. You want to shoot off confetti cannons. You want fireworks to blow up the whole time. Um, Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet have anointed him. They're announcing all this stuff. They've all gone up rejoicing. The whole city is in an uproar. This noise that you've heard, they're telling Adonijah. What Adonijah is like, what is going on in Jerusalem? This is what you sound. You hear Solomon sits on the royal throne. This verse 46, it's like, I wish, you know how you got your red letter Bible of like the words of Jesus in red. I want verse 46 to be like neon, just like. Solomon sits on the royal throne is the best phrase you could hear. Because all of the, all of the horror of David and Bathsheba that we've been through, all of the, the turmoil and fighting and war of Absalom rebelling and Hushai thinking that, and just, ah, oh, this is verse 46. Solomon sits on the royal throne is the fulfillment of God's promise to David when he forgave him of his sin. And so there it is. All the get verse 49. What do you think happened with Adonijah? Ooh. <laughs> Everybody that's at Adonijah's party splits. All the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way, and Adonijah was afraid. He was afraid of Solomon. He makes a beeline straight to the Ark of the Covenant and to the altar. And he goes and he grabs onto that altar, the horns of the altar. And word gets back to Solomon. And it says, Adonijah, behold, Adonijah is afraid of you, King Solomon. He thinks you're going to kill him. And he's laid hold of the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Isn't this funny? Because Adonijah is afraid that Solomon is going to do exactly what Adonijah planned on doing. He is judging somebody. He's accusing somebody of wanting to do exactly what his own plan was in the first place. Oh, 
I was going to kill him and become king. Now he's become king. I bet he's going to kill me. But Solomon's a better man. You guys, I could go on and on about this. May, can we be those people that are just so much better than all the people that would judge us? Can we rise above that and be, be those better people? Solomon says, and oh man, so if the, if the credits are playing out and the end of this movie is over, and you know how the little finger moves at the end to let you know there's going to be a sequel? Here it is. Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, they brought him down from the altar, and he came, paid homage to the King Solomon, and Solomon said, Go to your house. So he says, Look, dude. I'm not going to just kill you because you're my brother and I don't want you to be heir to the king, heir to the throne. If you do good, I'll let you live. But if you do wickedness, you're dead and I'll still be king. And so they bring him. Look at this. This guy who said, I'm going to be king. Give me my 50 army men. Give me my chariot. Rides around town. What's he doing? That very last line goes and pays homage to the king. He is kneeling down in front of King Solomon, bowing down in fear because he could get killed. I mean, just his life is worth nothing. He could be killed so easily. And Solomon is sparing him. Wow. This is all of King David teaching his son Solomon. Trust in the Lord. I'll make your enemies be your footstool. I'll make all of your enemies bow at your feet. And here it is right here. The very first day that King Solomon gets to be king, his very first act as king is this, his very first enemy of the day is bowing down to him, paying him homage. And I'll tell you what, a whole lot of King Solomon's kingdom and a whole lot of his reign is going to be a duplicate of this first day of getting honor and getting all kinds of stuff from God and then his enemies just bowing down at his feet. Next week, we're going to cover a whole lot more names. <laughs> you guys, it's crazy. Because next week is going to be the end of King David. And all the people we've talked about, you know how all the good TV shows at the end, they wrap it up and they bring in all the heroes that you've seen the whole time. You're going to see a whole lot of old names come back and they're all going to get together for one last hurrah, or we're going to hear about what their last hurrah is going to be. And it is, it is very exciting. So thanks for going along. Thanks for going along on this whole journey with me. It's been fun. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, for all the ways that you use real people in real circumstances to show off your faithfulness, just like you use us right now, real people in our circumstances to show off your faithfulness. I pray that this week our faith would be increased, that all of these things would help hold us up as we struggle as we go through hard times, as we face difficulties, that we can look and see, Lord, you were faithful to David when he was righteous and when he was a screw-up. 
and we can trust you that you will be faithful and helpful to us all the time too. We love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.